Hello, this is Pastor Rob Barber of Bethel Church in Tepper Springs, Ohio, where our mission is connecting people to God. Welcome to our podcast. I'm very excited to share the Word of God with you today, because according to Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I trust this message will increase your faith as you listen to what God has for you today. God bless and enjoy. So I wanted to start a series. Uh, unto us a child is born, and uh, I will not be here on uh, Christmas, uh, on the 24th, I'm sorry, uh, Christmas Eve. However, Otis is going to be bringing a message, and uh, I'm just going to be leading up to that Christmas message. We're going to be talking about the advent of Christ, or the, the first advent, the, the coming of the Messiah that was long awaited, had been prophesied for thousands and thousands of years, and uh, about 2,000 years ago was fulfilled when Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, fulfilling prophecy. There were so many prophetic fulfillments surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, surrounding the, the things leading up to uh, his coming. And then once uh, he became a man, he fulfilled all the prophecies uh, that was given about being uh, a healer and a deliverer and spoke the, the, about the kingdom of God. So this morning, I just want to start this message unto us, a child is born. And Isaiah 9, 6, it says that, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. The King of Kings, the Lord. Don't miss what this says. This is telling us God in the flesh. God came and was born of a woman, of a virgin, supernaturally, came and grew up as a man. He was all God, but he was all man as well. He was tempted in all the ways that we are tempted. And yet, because of the power of God, he was able to be perfect in all his ways. This is exciting for us every year, for us to, to think about what took place uh, we're celebrating, of course, the birth of Christ. He most likely was not born around this time of year, uh, which is not really that important, you know. Uh, what is important is that he was born, and he did come, and he did fulfill the calling that God put on his life. Absolutely and completely. So we're going to be looking at Luke. I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to talk about the uh, begin talking about the things leading up to the birth of Jesus. Uh, last year, about this time, I was reading Bible stories to my two little granddaughters, and Emberly uh, was about four years old at that time. And when I read a Bible story to them, we always kind of do a review about what we've talked about before, and they answer questions and pretty amazing how uh, quick kids pick up on things when you, you teach them about the Word of God. Uh, and 
uh, I started asking some questions, and I asked, asked him, what have we been reading about? And Emberly, like I said, she was at four at that time. She said, we've been reading about Jesus and red, ro red nose reindeer. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I really think she was just trying to be funny when she said that, because she knew better. But the reality is we have so many myths and legends and things that surround the, our celebration of Christmas that for kids sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. That's why I think it's very important that we make sure that we teach them the truth about the Word of God. We can play games and we can make believe and we can talk about Santa Claus and all that stuff, but to uh, make them think that Santa might be on the same level as Jesus, we're making a big mistake. So we need to make sure that we tell them Jesus is the real thing. These elves and Santa Claus and all that stuff, that's just all make-believe, pretend. I think sometimes we have so many traditions surrounding this time of year that, that we ourselves get confused about which way we're going and what we're going to do and what needs to be ta take place. So for the next three weeks, we're just going to talk about this. <coughs> so I'm going to ask you to look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to read 1 through 4. I have the scripture written out here before me. Verse 1, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand, set in order, a narrative of those things which has been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seems good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. Most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. It's important that we understand that we, ha we can know the certainty of the things that took place during that period of time when Christ was born, leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of John the Baptist, all the things that surround what we're celebrating right now. The important things about a Savior coming into the world. Scholars believe that Luke was the author uh, of uh, not only this book, but also of the book of Acts. And uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of the Jesus began both to do and to, to teach. As he was actually making reference to uh, the book of Acts, or the book of Luke in Acts, that he, he was writing both of those and making a clear understanding of all the things that took place during that period of time. So, Luke was uh, not a direct disciple of Jesus, of course, but he sometimes, after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, he became a believer. Paul mentions him in Philemon 1.24 and 2 Timothy 4.11. And we know that he was a physician because Paul actually says that in Colossians 4.14. Paul calls him Luke, the beloved physician. So it makes him a unique um, observer of the events that took place and a researcher. Now he was researching. He tells us that he researched these things so that he could give us a uh, complete and thorough account 
of what took place so that we would know without a doubt that these things were real. Luke being a physician made him, uh, put him in a position where he was trained uh, most likely to observe things, to understand things, and to be able to diagnose things properly. And according to his own words, he approached the, the uh, revealing of the first coming of, or the coming of the Messiah in such a way that he investigated it so that he had all the understanding from the people, the eyewitnesses that were there at the time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So what we, we must understand is that this thing that we call the Bible, we believe that it is the inspired and errant word of the living God. Now, there are a lot of naysayers out there these days trying to tell us that this is not really the Word of God. This was written by man. But there are so many prophecies in this book that have been completely fulfilled and will be fulfilled in the future. You cannot deny there's something unusual about this book over all other writings on the face of the earth. There is nothing else that has the prophetic utterance in it that has been completely fulfilled, that we can trust. So we can trust this Bible. We can trust this Word. We can trust the things that Luke wrote down about Jesus because he was inspired to do so when we believe that. That's how we can be sure that the Bible is, our, is God's Word to us. The English translation of the Old Testament we have today came from uh, ancient manuscripts, Mesoretic texts, uh, they were originally copied and recopied, but they were meticulous about their copying. They had to have every dot and every tittle, every smallest punctuation had to be perfect. And they would check it, they would reread it, and they make sure that it was perfect. So they took a copy of a copy and of a copy, and they copied and kept copying and handling, handing it down from generation to generation. So having copies is not a bad thing especially knowing that these people were very meticulous in the way that they made their copies. So that's why we get the English translation, uh, or that's how we get the, 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 the Bible that we have. And of course, it was translated into English. Uh, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the, uh, there are other versions that are very reliable versions uh, of the Bible that we can trust that it is translated in such a way that we're getting the Word of God as pure as we possibly can in our, our understanding, in our language. The method of copying and recopying the text was handed down from generation to generation. It eventually came to a family Mesoretic text to a, to a, a particular family that was responsible for it. And then, of course, we have the Greek... Uh, translation is Septuagint uh, from the 3rd century B.C. The dating of these documents uh, have not really been a problem because, you know, they understand how they were copied and handed down. However, skeptics are always trying to discredit the Word of God. They 
over and over and over again, they make excuses and they try to discredit the Word of God saying, well, this couldn't have been written then and it couldn't have been done that way and these things couldn't have happened. However, in 1947, a discovery at the site of Qumran, the Dead Sea, we uh, found that the Mesoretic texts were exactly the Word of God as God intended because the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and in those scrolls, uh, they date back to about 300 B.C., the oldest manuscripts ever found. And they are almost exactly uh, the original Masoretic text that uh, were given to, uh, or handed down to us. So we now know, without a doubt, that we have been given the Word of God. And, you know, there are other writings that was found in those um, in those uh, caves that are helpful for us, the historical writings and texts, that if you get a chance, you might want to just read them. Book of Jasher, uh, Jubilees, Giants. There's, you know, there are things that... Uh, now, you don't take those as, as, as uh, canonized. They're, they're not holy scripture. But they do fill in some blanks of things that we don't under, completely understand or haven't completely understood in the past. They're more historical books. But, uh, you know, if you like that kind of thing, which I do, I enjoy reading them, and I enjoy having a better understanding of some of the historical things that took place so many centuries ago. Overall, the Dead, Dead Sea Scrolls te, uh, give us a complete understanding that uh, the Old Testament we, that we have is God's Word to us. Now, the New Testament, the original uh, manuscripts were, uh, came from the Texas Receptus or the received text, and they were handed down also after being copied and copied and recopied, but uh, scholars believe that we have in our possession a 98% accurate manuscript of the New Testament and how things took place historically during that period of time. Now, I say this, I tell you all this uh, uh, this morning because I want you to understand that you can trust this Bible. When it's written, if it's written in there, you can stand on it. You can believe it. You can trust it wholeheartedly and completely. I know there are those who are trying to tell you you cannot. But it's real. It's God's Word. So we stand on it. In the entire text, there's 20,000 lines. Only 40 lines are in doubt from the original text. And none of them affect doctrine. None of them. Absolutely nothing. The New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington said this. The bottom line is this. By every standard, standard that is commonly used by ancient documents... The evidence of the reliability of the New Testament is overwhelming. It literally crushes the evidence for all other ancient documents. George Bernard Shaw, who was a literary giant of the 20th century, and by the way, was very much a critic of the uh, moral teachings of the Bible. He didn't like them very much. However, he did say this about the translation of the King James Bible. He said, the translation was an extraordinary well done because the translators 
was not merely translating a book. They were translating what they believed to be the Word of God divinely revealed through His chosen and expressly inspired scribes. In this conviction, they carried out their work with boundless reverence and care and achieved a beautiful artistic result. Regardless of the fact that he was not very fond of the moral teachings of the Bible, he had to be honest about the, the uh, fact that we have this word and it's word of God that is inspired and comes to us because we have a living God who wants us to know him without reservation. The King James and New King James Version, Revised Standard English Version of the Bible, I believe these are all very good translations. There are other translations out there that are questionable, whether they have everything in them or not. They're good for reading and uh, having an understanding, but I would uh, caution you, uh, always refer back to one of these other uh, versions if you want to make sure that you're getting the pure Word of God as we know it today. So the bottom line is, you can be certain that we have the Word of God and you can trust it. The second thing I want to talk to you this morning about is that we have given the ability, been given the ability to live a righteous life. And righteousness is something that we need uh, more of in our society today. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Beginning with verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division Abijah. His wife was of the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. This scripture is not telling us that they were perfect people and they walked perfect before the Lord in all their ways. Do you realize there's 613 required laws in the law of Moses? No one is capable of fulfilling all of them all the time. However, this scripture tells us that they were righteous in the sight of God. What is it talking about? What is it telling us? It's telling us, I believe, that they were striving to please God with all their heart, soul, and mind because that was the commandment. They had a desire to serve the living God. They didn't stray to the right or to the left because of their own uh, desires or emotions or feelings. They always stayed on course serving the living God. And when they made a mistake, they cried out to the living God, just like we can today. Only we have a better covenant than they were living under. We have the perfect covenant, covenant, the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we're going to make lots of mistakes in this life, and we're going to fail Him. But thank God the Scripture said we have this advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can come to no matter what we do. Even when we do wrong, even when we... Uh, say wrong, even when we act wrong, our God is there. I believe verse 6 reveals two people who were doing their best to please the Lord. 
That's the bottom line. Herod, who is mentioned here, is Herod the Great, who reigned from 37 to 4 B.C. Herod uh, was a descendant of Esau. And according to Genesis, Esau hated his brother Jacob. This hatred had continued throughout this, the centuries, and it was still those two were at odds with each other. Most of the, the people, uh, the descendants of Jacob, really didn't like Herod, Herod very much. Herod was known as Herod the Great, not because he was a great person, because he was a prolific builder. He built many things, bridges and, and cities, and he was the great uh, architect of the, uh, the, the temple at that time. Although, uh, during the time of Ezra, uh, um, the, the temple had, was beginning to be built. It was a small temple. Uh, Herod took on the project of making it a a beautiful and magnificent edifice. It was one of those uh, wonders of the world at that time. There were people who had uh, written about the temple, and when they came over the uh, the mountaintops and they would look at the temple, they would see it glistening in the sun, and they made comments on how wonderful and beautiful it was. So Herod had made uh, an incredible edifice there in Jerusalem, no matter what his character was like, because he was not a very good person. In fact, uh, most of the things that we see written about him tell us that he was somewhat of a tyrant. He was shrewd, he was cunning, but he was very cruel. He had a paranoia about people trying to take his throne from him. He executed his wife because he thought she was trying to exercise authority over him. Uh, he executed his sons, several of them, thinking, thinking that they were plotting against him. The common saying during the time, according to what I found, was this, it's safer being a pig than Herod's son, because he didn't like people who he thought may be trying to usurp his authority. Around the first century, according to 1 Chronicles 24, David divided the priesthood into 24 divisions. And uh, one of those divisions was the, the division of Abijah. In later Jewish practice, the number of 24 courses was based on a, on a lunar calendar, and each one, of those, uh, or each one of those groups would serve twice a year in the temple. According to the text, it says that Zechariah's division of priesthood was serving in the temple at that time. And it says that he was a righteous man. He walked in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord in a blameless way. However, according to Jewish tradition, Zacharias and his wife were looked down upon by society because she was barren. And if you were barren in their society, they believed that you were not under the favor of God. You had to have children to be favored of God. So in the eyes of the world, they were, they were not that well favored, but God favored them. They were blessed because of the living God and because they lived blameless before Him. 
What made them righteous? Because they walked before the Lord and they knew Him. We know but as believers in Jesus Christ, we are righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Not because of our actions, not because of how good we are or how many good deeds we do. We have righteousness. In, it, it, it is placed upon us by the precious blood of our Savior. Romans 10.4 says, And Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the fulfillment of the law is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we truly believe, here's the thing, we will live in such a way that will bring honor to the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We will reject the ways of the world, the things of the world, the lifestyle of the world. And we'll walk righteously before God. 1 John 3, 7 says this, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteousness, is righteous, just as he is righteous. Talking about Jesus. So we must practice righteousness. Do all that we can to be righteous before the Lord. We got to come to grips with the fact that making Jesus your personal Savior is not just something you do and then you go on about living your life any way you want. It's not, it's not just about securing your salvation. Salvation is awesome and it's wonderful and it, it's, it changes your life without a doubt. But if we are truly saved, there is something that happens in our life. And that is our life changes. Our lifestyle changes. Our directions change. Our hopes and our dreams change to fulfill what God wants for our life. Not what we want. John 3.10 says this. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous because they practiced righteousness. They did everything they could to please the Lord. The same thing proves right for us. It works. We're practicing righteousness. God knows that we are, He knows when our heart is right with Him and when we're striving to do our very best. Even when we fall short, we fall down, we fall on our face. It makes no difference. When we're striving to, to please our God, to practice righteousness, He is always there with us, walking with us. A wealthy businessman who was no, well known for being very ruthless and unethical. He told Mark Twain one time, he said, you know, I, uh, I have this dream. I'll, I'll, before I die, I want to make a, pri- a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He said, I want to climb to the top of Mount Sinai where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And there... I want to take the Ten Commandments and I want to read them out loud at the top of my lungs. I want to shout them out. (laughs) Mark Twain is normal wit. He said, I have a better idea. I think it would be better if you stayed in Boston and kept them instead of just reading them. That's exactly right. We have the Word of God. 
and we can keep it. We can walk in it. And thank God when we don't, when we make those mistakes, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon us. Third thing I want to talk about this morning is people prepared for the Lord. Are we a people prepared for the Lord? I hope so, because the Lord's coming back. He's coming for His people. Let's, look, let's read Luke 8, 1, 8 through 17. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And a whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And you, and for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make a ready a people prepared for the Lord. In, va- in verse 9 it says, Zacharias lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. This is kind of the most important part of the ceremony, being able to burn incense. And incense uh, is uh, a representation of the saints of the prayer, of the, uh, of the, uh, the prayers. I said that absolutely backwards, didn't I? <laughs> the prayers of the saints um, that ascend to, to God, a sweet-smelling Savior that when, when we pray, He hears and He's listening. Zacharias, this is probably one, maybe the only time in his life that he got to do this, to burn incense. But it's interesting because God had a plan. This was not by accident. All these things fell into place because God had a plan to speak to Zacharias and establish his son John as the one that was going to go before the Lamb of God and prepare people's hearts. This was an ordained moment, ordained by Almighty God, just as you and I have ordained moments with God. I hope you have many of those ordained moments. I've had a few in my lifetime, times when I knew exactly that God had placed me in a particular place and time and a situation to speak to me and direct me, give me hope. Show me new things. Your life is not a series of random events. It never has been. It never will be. He told the prophet Jeremiah, before I knew you, before you you were formed in the womb, before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nation. That same thing goes for each and every one of us. Not that we are all prophets, but he knew us before we were formed in the womb. 
That's why I am so opposed to abortion. Because I believe that it's life. It's a life being formed in there. Your God is much bigger, wiser, and more powerful than you can even imagine. He created all things. He spoke it into existence. I don't know if we can either comprehend that. There was nothing, and He created it all just by speaking. That's powerful, isn't it? You know, we're living in the decade of the pay of the mouth. And this year is the year of the door. Makes me understand that I'm talking from a Hebrew perspective, so if you're not following me, um, that's what I'm, I'm sharing with you. Um, so as we think about that, we think about how powerful our words are. Because the Word of God makes it very clear that uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So if, we, if we're in the century uh, of the mouth and we're in the year of the door, it stands to reason that we can open and shut doors this year with our mouth. So be careful what you speak. Speak it truly from the Word of God and from the heart of God. Proverbs 2, 7 says this. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk upright. Walking upright is just another way of saying being righteous or walking righteously. What does it look like to walk upright? Well, he gave us a little glimpse of that in Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, it's really not uh, a list of laws and rules that we have to be concerned about when we serve God. What we must be concerned about is exactly what Jesus told us. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second, love your neighbors yourself. If you do that, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love mercy. You're going to do justly. You're going to walk humbly before your God. It's really a very simple relationship that we have with our Father. Loving Him, pleasing Him, and loving all of His creation at the same time. If we do this Proverbs gives us this promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He'll direct your path. As I look back at my life, where I came from, things I've done, mistakes I've made, I can truly say, God has directed my path. Even when I made the stupid decisions. Even when I did wrong. Even when I made lots of mistakes. He was still directing my path. And He will continue to direct my path. He'll direct your path.
Our God is awesome and His Word is alive. and It's real. He wants you to have the kind of relationship with Him where every day you depend on His mercy and His grace. We're living in a world where the, the government wants you to depend on them. Where individuals want you to depend on them. Where politicians want you to depend on them. There's only one you can truly depend on. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourth thing I want to talk to you about, fourth and last thing, is trust the Lord. I just read that scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. If you do, He's going to direct everything in your life. Let's look at verse uh, Luke 1, 18 through 23. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife of well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. They perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service was complete, that he departed to his own house. Zacharias was a faithful follower of Almighty God. He trusted him. He put his whole life in his hands. And yet, when God spoke to him, when his angel spoke to him, he wavered in his faith just a little bit. Just like we all waver sometimes in our faith. We trust. I, I, I trust in my God. I know that he, he is, He's been my provider through so many things. He's always shown up. And yet there are times in my life where I wonder, God, you know, I, I, I've been bombarding heaven with these prayers. Where's the answer? I can guarantee you this. It's not God's problem. If there's a problem, it's here with me but I know that there are times that I wonder my faith wavers your faith wavers but thank God it's not always based on how we feel it's based on one thing our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in fact I believe that God would much rather that we be honest with him sometimes and crawl out to him God I don't understand this where are you? Why are you not showing up right now? Why are things not working out the way I think they should? I think he would be, he'd rather that we be honest with him like that than to try to hide and act like we're some spiritual giant and make believe. In Mark chapter 9, a man brought a demonized boy to, to Jesus. As Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who, who believes. And immediately the father said this to him, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes that's just what we have to do. We have to cry out, God, help our unbelief. We're mere humans. 
You know what it's like. Help our unbelief. Help us to walk faithfully before you and stand firmly in our faith in you. I don't think it's a shameful thing to admit that we're weak and we miss it so many times. But we know this, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So it's so important that we stand on the Word of God and we trust in the Word of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 24 and 25 says this. We're going to finish. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus saith the Lord, dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. How kind the Lord is. This is the New Living Translation. I want to read it from there. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. I don't believe she was hiding because she was ashamed of being pregnant. She was, she was drawing close to the Lord because she knew that this was a miraculous happening taking place in her life and in the lives of others. She was putting her trust and her faith in God. She didn't understand what was going on, but she was trusting Him. And I say to you this morning, we just have to trust. Sometimes that trust looks like we step, it is important for us to step out and move in the direction that God has told us to move, even when it doesn't look like things are going to work out the way we want them to work out. We have an awesome and mighty God. He's calling us to be faithful to Him and to trust Him. We've got to put our faith in Him. Not in anyone else or anything else. In 1855, a man by the name of Charles Bodine was an acrobat and a tightrope walker. He claimed that he could walk from one side of Niagara Falls to the other on a tightrope, quite a distance. He set it up, and of course everybody wanted to see this, so a lot of people paid to see him walk across Niagara Falls. On that day, he stood before the people and he said, how many of you believe that I can walk across on this rope? Everybody clapped and cheered, yeah, we believe it. Good. How many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope with a man on my back? Everybody clapped and cheered. Yeah, we believe you can do that. He said, fine. I need a volunteer. <laughs> Silence. No one volunteered. Except one man. Harry Concord. Harry was this man's, Charles, uh, he was his supporter and his um, publisher. He had enough faith in Charles and knew his ability that he got on his back and they both went across Niagara Falls on a tightrope that day. He had faith in Charles. That's good to have faith in people. But I want, to, I want you to know something. God is asking you to get on His back. It doesn't matter how 
crazy that water looks down below or how far it is above. Our God can guarantee that He's going to get from this side to the other side and keep us intact and protect us. What a God we serve. He's awesome and He's mighty. Serve Him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. As we prepare to celebrate the birth of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, remember through these days, no matter how hectic things become, no matter how difficult life may seem, or how little you may have to spend, things are tight, we understand that. But no matter what's happening, put your faith and trust in the living God. And wherever we go, whatever we do, do it unto the Lord. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. If you'd like to have prayer this morning, I'd like for you to come forward and we'll have prayer. If you'd like to have healing, feel that God has something for you. Come up and we will pray. Hello, this is Pastor Rob again. I pray you enjoyed this podcast. What a blessing it has been to have you join us on this social media platform. If you would like more information about Bethel, please check out our website at BethelChurch.community. You can also follow us on our Facebook page at Bethel Church, Tepper's Plains. Have a blessed day and remember, love never fails.